What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Hello and welcome to Art of War Unbroken. Champions may lose, but their spirits remain unbroken. I'm your host, this time, Blake Law. This is episode 66 of the podcast. We are very happy you were able to join us today. They say we learn the most from our losses, and that is exactly what this podcast aims to do. We are going to interview an elite player who has lost a handful of games, maybe just one, at a major event. We're going to break down the mistakes they made and how they plan to learn from those mistakes. How often have you blamed a game on bad dice? Brad Chester literally just spent two minutes of a mic check telling me how dice screwed him, so... He does it. We all do it. <laughs> you know how it goes. But today we are Oh Canada. And you are very, very fortunate to be joined by the Prime Minister of Canada himself here for the time being, as well as our guest, who is also Canadian. We are going to be talking about the hot daddy of them all today. We're talking about blood angels. And we're going to talk about a couple of different things. We're going to talk about a big bad Canada up in tournament. We're going to touch on the WTC and this player's run with the Blood Angels over in Europe. And we're going to do all of the above. He played against Tyranids. And that is what we're going to be talking about today. So this is part one of the podcast. So in this part, we'll be analyzing the game, talking about common mistakes, secondaries, and target priority part two, which is available to subscribers at theartofwar40k.com. We are going to be talking about strategy adjustments, how the player plans to move forward, how they plan to make their list, their strategies, how their list plays your list, my list, Brad's list, all of the list, and of course, the elite player mindset. Now, my co-host needs no introduction. He's the Prime Minister of Canada. Having won studs and snotlings in 2021, he's going again this year. Can he do it again? Mr. Prime Minister, Senor Brad Chester. I'm so glad you're back because every time you're not here, we do a very short introduction, and you bring the pain, the thunder, every time we do this. I do. I bring the thunder. I, there, there's times when you do the intro, and it's amazing, and then you leave for the rest of the show, but you do bring the pain in the intro. Oh, I do. You know, I'm sometimes I just check out. Sometimes I'm so tired. I'm made today, man. I'm really tired. But you, you know what? I'm going to try my best. Well, tell everybody, you've been 36 hours of traveling. I've been traveling. I got stuck in the airport for 36 hours. I was in LaGuardia. I don't know if anyone else was there with me. It seemed like half the planet was, but uh, <laughs> it was terrible. And uh, I'm here now. And my guest is bringing me, he's revitalized me. He's bringing me energy. I'm so excited <laughs> to interview him again. It's sadly, very sadly, only a second time on this show. He's not a three Peter yet, but he will be soon. Hopefully, he loses the game again. Who knows? He <laughs> you put that evil on him. The Canadian Thunder from up above, not down under. He <laughs> was last year's top-rated Blood Angel player globally, and he finished or in Canada, actually. Sorry. He was on Team Canada. He's won an absolute tear lately. He has won so much lately. He finished second in the Salt City GT he was undefeated at WTC while playing for Team Canada. He finished sixth at the Warmaster while he was over there, having only lost one game. And the team finished seventh, which I think is excellent. So we're going to be talking about CCBB, something, something, bloodbath. I'm not really sure what the first part is, but tell us all about it, Mr. Sam Prosipo. <laughs> I think you said it better last time, but uh, yes. it's, uh, Procopio. Procopio. It's literally oh. exactly how it's spelled. <laughs> I was one for two on your name, man. So, um, you know, sorry. Actually, oh, man. 
You uh, by the way, I'm pretty sure that's actually a drug that you just called it. <laughs> maybe I've been doing that. I've been doing medicine. drug stuff all day, so maybe you know, <laughs> whatever. Propanolol. Sam Propanolol is his name. Um, I want to take a moment here before I before we talk a little bit more, Sam. I had a guest on last week. He was a paint guest. The first one I've ever done. His name's Devin. Easy enough name, right? He's with Cutthroat Cure. Excellent painter. Check out his stuff. But I got all the way through it, and I actually misspelled his name in my video. So not only did I, it's the first time I've missed a name by spelling, which I'm embarrassed about. So there you go. (laughs) It happens, but I I appreciate you guys having me on again. It's all good, brother. You good? I want to go over your list this time with this rock game. We can talk about we're going to talk about your Leviathan game, but we'll talk. We'll delve into a little bit about the WTC because I always want to talk about that. It's my favorite thing of the year. And you've got a significantly different Blood Angels list than a lot of other people bring. Like I was actually doing breakdowns of the all the Blood Angels lists that were brought to the WTC, and I think it was yours and Josh Roberts which had the most other stuff in your blood angels. And I like both of them uh, for different reasons. Yours has significantly more play uh, if things go awry. And also you have more play into things that typically are very, very bad matches for the blood angels, such as Leviathan Tyranids. Because typically when you get your to your blood angels, you go, hey, I'm going to smash these Tyranids. And you're like, hey, I got plus one to wound. They're like, good to hear you need force. So, and they can turn a lot of stuff off for you. So, Tell, tell me a little bit about this list. I'm I'm intrigued. Yeah, so I, I can obviously run you through through it pretty quickly. So I mean, I I've stuck with my guns for I want to say you know since the uh, Codex Supplement first released about what feels like five years ago. No, it's like about you know a year and a half, two years. Right. Uh, since, since I started actually you know playing playing the game actually, my WTC list is a little bit slightly different than my uh, my current singles list, just basically in characters. Otherwise, it's it's an identical list, and pretty much it's um, you know it was it was Dante for. Pretty obvious reasons. Then I had my uh, librarian with actually uh, Blood Angel powers, which was like you know for exploding sixes, a double move, and also another psychic you know psychic power for mortal wounds, just to help in uh, different phases of the game doing some damage here and there. Obviously, Catans have been prominent. I mean, for the future, I figure why not get practice in for when Abaddon hits the scene because because uh, obviously chaos wasn't uh, allowed at the WTC. But you know, essentially, what I put on the librarian is that that combo that you and I spoke about you know way back when at, at Motor City. Uh, now he has the whole he has offsec and turns off offsec so now if you have no denies or you have no real way of you know essentially you know stopping that power of wings of sanguinius now we have this you know 24 inch plus moving librarian that can dictate scoring whether it be late game early game depending on when i need it so i mean it's been pretty key to have that in my list and then i have my uh, sanguinary priest with the um the selfless healer as pretty much i think everyone should take uh and then the armor indomitus to uh to have as a cheeky deterrent for when he has to heroic sacrifice so those are my my three characters three troops keep it simple double incursors and uh, audible rifle intercessors then my elites which is the meat and potatoes of the list we've got the single death company unit with three hammers and two chains swords then we have the three by seven sanguinary guard with a mix of different weapons i'll just save time on that couple inferno pistols sprinkled in there then i have my close combat scouts which obviously arrive uh in, into the field of uh, battle in the land speeder storm and then i have uh double eliminators uh with las fusils and instigators for the double move and then uh rounding off the list is the fast attack slots which are the assault marines with you know all the free upgrades you can take free jump packs and then a multi-melta uh land speeder so that's my uh that was my Old list with school old school multi-melted land spear love to see it you love as, to see people, it. as people that listen to me they know how much i love trash and you've got tons of trash in here to make all the me trash happy. but you have to have stuff in this 
we were talking today about this, and, and the thing is, is that you either have to have some move block. I think move blocking is horrifically underrated. Uh, yeah, you have to have move block. You have to have some throwaway units because you don't want to be going in the middle of the board with actual units a lot of times. Right. So if you're trying to, you know, deny an objective, put up a banner, or whatnot. But that's a big thing. You have a lot of just things that can play the mission. I really like it. Stuff and things. Well, he does have stuff and things. But in the in the capital city bloodbath, you actually change your character loadout a little bit and the psychic powers you took. So you took a chapter master uh, with Soul yep. Warden, and then you had the the librarian with Null Zone, Scourge, and Fury. What was yeah. what were the thoughts on the changes going into that? So actually, really funny. I actually tweaked the list slightly, like just in like a like a rough draft, just to see what it would look like. And then I was like, eh, it's okay. I'll just submit my WTC list. Then I submitted that list by accident <laughs> because it was the last one I had on Battlescribe, and I had to submit the list while we were in in Belgium. So I just quickly did it the one evening when we were talking about pairings. I was like, I got to hurry up and just put put this in. And then when the list went live, I was like, okay, I'm like, I'm pretty good. And then my buddy, he was like, he's like, damn, he's like, no zone, eh? And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and then I went and checked my list, and I was like, okay, well, now I, now I gotta, you know, I made my bed, now I gotta rest in it. But uh, but you know what though? I mean, it it was kind of like a a meta call as well. I figured, I figured. Maybe I wouldn't need it, but it actually panned out that I actually it was helpful that I did because there were a lot of Harlequins, Nids. Sisters don't really rely on invulnerable saves, so I can leave them out. But then Har- like Harlequins and Custodes uh, like are very, you know, big on, on their on their invulnerable saves. Oh so I mean, it's like they live and die by the invuln. And then the fact that I had the librarian, which I figured he can do, he can smite, he can psychic scourge, he can fear of the ancients. Now we can have some real threats towards Catans. And then of course, like I said, if, if I ran to Abaddon, now I have three ways of dealing some damage to him. So um, I, it actually worked out pretty well. And then, hey, the five up feel no pain against mortal wounds, I think it came in handy a few times too. So kind of worked out to be honest. Nice. You put up some big scores throughout the Capital City Bloodbath, man. Congrats. I look at this list and there's this so much like you get your standard stuff but i feel like this list somehow fits in like so many units outside of the big four that you see with the same guard and the death company it's really got a lot of things well it's, it's a big deal on that tell you the truth so as someone that plays against uh the angels and stuff is very popular right now especially in the team environment yeah. it's so much harder to play against your type of list and others that just have more things because typically i can out trade a lot of the blood angels lists and effectively, you kill a bunch of my stuff, I kill some of your stuff, and at the end of the game, I have three guys walking around, you have nobody walking around. So right. it's still a bloodbath, but I just usually have more stuff. And now you just have more things that can do. You also have threats that I have no desire to trade with. And that's a big deal, because especially when you're looking at people like knights, like this big Tyranid army and stuff like that, they don't want to put nine nine warriors on top of an objective to get rid of the assault squad or just any you know a speeder you know what i mean you're like hey i'm gonna get a 12 if you don't do something about this well yep. let me i'm gonna list off this army real quick and then we'll talk about the mission and everything else yeah yeah we're playing some leviathan tyranids we've got a walking hive tyrant we got a neural throw tyranid prime two giant nine-man blocks with triple venom cannons apiece on the tyranid warriors then we've got a five-man block a Three-man block and tyrant guard, three venomthropes, a unit of Zoe's, a single biovore, which I love, a winged hive tyrant with the Reaper of Obliterax, because that just auto-populates when you make a list, and another five-man Tyranid Warrior squad. So he was just really tri-quadding down on the Tyranid Warriors. So, I mean, that, that's a scary list when you're talking about going up against a hand-to-hand type army for yourself, because obviously it takes away a lot of the, yep. the mojo that you have, the plus one to wound and things of that nature, because all of this stuff is synapse leviathan synapse is only wounded on fours yep the whole army 
Anything that's synapse in Leviathan basically has transhumans. So it's just a huge pain in the ass uh, because the Blood Angels typically be wounding these guys on twos. Twos, yeah, so, yeah plus one. Yikes. Yeah, so yeah, instead you're just wounding on fours and it takes obviously a huge amount of mojo away. So what mission were we playing and what secondaries did you take? Yeah, we playing, yeah no, sorry, we were playing Tide of Conviction. So definitely not the ideal matchup to play that that warrior's home. <laughs> Uh, list on. So for those of you listening, you know, if you're, if you're not sure off the top of your head, it's, it's a hold two, uh, hold three, hold more on Dawn of War. So I mean, not exactly the best thing in the planet for me. And then uh, I figured, hey, if I'm going to have a shot in this game, uh, I'm definitely going to have to kill warriors and uh, all the other things that come with them. So I figured no prisoners was a good option. Relentless Assault is my go-to for Blood Angels just because he's throwing things in my zone uh, and getting that aggressive on me. It might give me a chance to isolate some units. And if he's not, all I have to do is touch something in his zone for four points at the end of my turn. Figured why not? And then what I does Relentless I'd... Assault do again? Four yeah. points. Go ahead. Yeah. No, that, that was, it's, it's just way better behind enemy lines. It's yeah. just four points at the end of my turn. If I have more Blood Angel units in your zone, then you have your units in my zone. And it's not wholly within either. Yeah, oh, wow. he can literally just put the nose of the land speeder and just touch and get four points. It's it's such a big deal. And the big deal is, is it scored at the end of his turn, so you don't have to stay there or oh, hang that's out. really right. good, actually. That makes those land speeders just like money. That's eight points like yeah. at some point. Yeah. Well, it's it's more because if you put the scouts inside the storm speeder and you yeah. zoom the thing over, they shoot that, you get out behind cover, and you're like, these guys are getting relentless next turn. <laughs> and because it's an assault vehicle, actually, usually I do that anyway, but the scouts get out after the storm has moved 18 inches, then they disembark three, move six, and then they retrieve data. And I, and I, obviously, I took retrieve knockman data because of that as well. I like that a lot. Do you remember what your opponent took against you secondary-wise? Yeah, I believe he took uh, psychic interrogation against me. He took raised banners, and then he also took no prisoners. Yeah, let's say. It feels like Tyranid constantly, that, that is their new... The three. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Yeah, I was about to say yeah, yeah, yep. Okay, so he took the standard stuff. Got it. Let's 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 yeah. move on in life. So, what were your thoughts on this mission when you were going into it against this army? Uh, not the Baber. Also, by the way, everybody listening, Dawn of War can go to hell. And now, now I'm going to continue all of my life. So, <laughs> <laughs> I used to say I concur, but I concur. <laughs> It does give a lot of uh, armies that get to go first have a really big advantage just because once you can take the board uh, and dictate kind of the tempo of, of scoring, especially on a whole two mission, uh, you really feel that early game. And sometimes a lot of us, you know, that play, you know, I, I hate, you know, I, I keep saying it at the top tables, but it is what it is. Like we, we like to play for the later games or sorry, the later turns within a game. So it's like if you're not on top of your scoring early, though, that turn five, 12 might not make a difference. Yeah. So that's. That, that, that's just kind of what, I recur what I've you know, seen being like a recurring uh, factor in, in some matchups. So, I mean, he was able to go first, which again... Right. And, and the thing yeah. is, is, for everybody not knowing about it, Tyranid Warriors are OPSEC, so it's just a big deal. That's it's just a chunk of guys moving up, taking objectives. Yeah, so essentially him going first, it was like, it wasn't awful. It just told me what I have to do. If I go first, I have to get a bit more aggressive. If I go if I go second, I have to be as cagey as possible and hope he, push, he overextends into me. He obviously was... Actually, because he didn't know the matchup well, he actually went on, uh, you know, proceeded to go on the side of caution and not push into me. I guess just because of his lack of knowledge into the matchup, which we, him and I spoke about after the game. But I needed him to actually push into me, overextend, and then I'd be able to capitalize. And actually, I played this matchup already um, against Kraken Nids uh, at Motor City Mayhem in round five, actually, and was able to take it. And that's because he overextended through the Hive Taranami, was throwing warriors at me. But then, like we've kind of discussed already, I'm giving you chaff, I'm letting you hit that first wall of what I want you to hit, and then I'm taking a big chunk of, of your resources that you can't really get back after. I like that a lot. So walk me through what, ha what how the game ended up playing out. Yeah, so I mean, it, it was a really back-and-forth game. There, I believe there 
there was maybe a handful of mistakes on, on both sides of the table, but I mean, that kind of goes without, uh, you know, being said in a game of 40 K, no one's going to be perfect. Right. Basically me being able to stay reserved, keep my units and assets alive to push into his zone when and where I could, as well as deny uh, his secondaries as best as I could. And I think I did a pretty good job of that. And that kind of all boiled down to the end of the game. And, uh, you know, I hate to, I hate to say it, but uh -oh. What, what lost me the game was a, a very, very large tactical error where, you know, essentially the clock was boiling down on me and I had just received word that my opponent had given me clock too. So I don't clock out and I wasn't aware of that. And I thought in my head, if I've only got like a minute here, I'm not going to just like take a step back, take my time and take advantage of my opponent being so kind. Uh, I mean, we are Canadians. But, That's very you know, classy. Uh, <laughs> which obviously, you know, kudos to him for being the classy man he was. But, you know, if I took that extra, I want to say a minute or two, I would have been able to take the win. But in the heat of the moment, I just figured, you know what, if I kill this hive tyrant, I win the game, which it's true. But without knowing that I charged in and, uh, you know, in hindsight, if I actually just didn't charge the hive tyrant, stayed outside of three, I win the game by actually one point. So it was a bit disappointing to realize that after the game, but you live and learn. Have to manage your clock as best as you can. And definitely was a really big learning experience. And hey, kudos to him. He played really well and it boiled down to only one point. So, I mean, what was your opponent's name there? Yeah, Francois. Francois. Yeah. Won the tournament. He won it, yeah. man. That's a, that's a classy move, too, man. I like to hear that. You love to hear stories like that. And oh, yeah. Besides this game, he blew everybody else out. <laughs> Well, and, and round five, he had a close one against uh, Harlequins. I think it was 76 or 76. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. You have the 70 here. I was looking at that. Yeah, yeah. close game too. So, but uh, speaking of the clock on that, were, were you guys playing player play strength? We were, we were. And uh, it was an hour and 15 each, and that's including placing the terrain. Whoa. What did yeah. this terrain look like there? What was your what was your mindset going and how you were going to place it? Like, what, what were the pieces and what was your general thought and strategy kind of going in versus this kind of almost like a mirror close combat fight here. Yeah. Like, like the, uh, the kind of way that I've, I've been able to establish my game and, and kind of who I am was basically on player place terrain. And actually the, the first tournament where I kind of came out of my shell was that stutter snodling. That was my first ever major. The one that, uh, Brad has, you know, kept the title of prime minister from, <laughs> oh, that might that might change this. No, I'm kidding. Ooh, <laughs> he's throwing down, bro. Then I will be the emperor of Canada. Yeah, he wins it again. He's the emperor. So I mean, <laughs> uh, no, but uh, you know, essentially, just on on player place terrain, it's a matter about um, just holding objectives, uh, not not letting myself be out in the open at any point, and just kind of staging as close as possible to you know central areas of the board. Now, what was actually really interesting with this terrain was there was a prefixed uh, two middle L's where that that can't be ch changed in terms of um, measurements, only shifted in terms of the angle according to kind of what 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 battlefield edge you're playing on. But due to those ruins being locked in, in place it kind of gave you your other two l's to be fixated in almost like a what felt like a preset location anyway because they were they were covering such a, a big area in the middle where you can't actually put a ruin next to them on like a hammer and anvil so to speak so the boards looked almost identical for a lot of people which actually i think had a pretty good outcome uh and a lot of less complaints because i mean we've we've all heard it before where oh he got the first drop he put it smack dab in the middle i lost the game because of that so it's like, I really think it kind of brought a more fair, uh, you know, approach to the game and a more balanced, I guess you can say, uh, event overall. I like that a lot. Did you know, you already knew that, did you know what type of turn you're going to be playing with beforehand? I just yeah. asked that because of the fact that, you know, you're going to have such fast rounds, but I go, I go on TTS and I take whatever the terrain is and I preset up what my terrain setups are going to look like versus assault armies versus 
shooting armies and stuff like that. So when I get to the tournament, I can just go, okay, bam, 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 bam. You know, I, I have exactly what I want to already have happen. So I can just speed the process up just a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to that, to that point, actually, um, I was actually a little bit disappointed going into this uh, event at myself, just because uh, I didn't know I was going to Capital City Bloodbath until like the week before WTC. And at that point, I'm all, I'm already all in on preparing for the, for that event. Yeah. Um, so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big believer in preparation. And like, again, I know this, this might sound absolutely crazy, but that first major that I went to, I stutter snotling where I said, you know, I kind of proved, you know, the proof was in the pudding with my work. And I went five and one from my first ever major. That was because I prepared on that table for three months in my basement, playing the same missions over and over, realizing exactly where my army needs to be on every mission. And it kind of caught people up by surprise because they were like, okay, I can't shoot him. He knows where to be. He knows how his scoring is. And it's like, it just kind of became like clockwork. Um, and I've done that ever since at every single large event that I go to, whether it's Motor City and playing with GW terrain or the WTC and prepping with random tables every night to test myself against tough armies. Um, that's why I was a bit disappointed. I'm like, I didn't play a single game on this on this map pack and i'm gonna go you know probably have my worst ever showing but you know i, I really gave it my all and maybe all the old old hard work paid off i guess i i love that though because i do a ton of that because i don't feel comfortable not preparing like i don't like yeah. finding things out when you're there that's the worst also I, I drink too much wine to be uh, did not have practice before I need some muscle memory when I get to the board. I got two questions for you, Sam. One is, do you play versus yourself in your basement? Are you like, are you like lining up armies and like playing like, um, like solitaire? Yes. Uh, so to answer that one, I actually only own one army. Yes, I am only a Blood Angel uh, fanatic. Um, but I, I do tend to, like, for example, if I'm setting up like a game night, I will set up the board ahead of time and kind of either roughly deploy or just kind of visualize where I need to be, how the mission's going to look, how it's going to uh, play out essentially with, against different armies, what I'm worried about, et cetera. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's, that's perfect. I, I think that's a great, great idea for everyone out there. Uh, just like self-deploying and like playing kind of some mock-ups. I have one I, more, Brad, I see you about to talk. I have one other question for Sam before we jump in. It's not what you think it is either. It's, are you prepared to pay a toonie to Brad when he arrives at Studs or Snotlings this year, because as the prime minister, you all owe him taxation. <laughs> well, as, as, if, if the toonie comes into the form of a beer, I think he'll accept. So I think we're good. Your beer toonie. Uh, yeah. Beer toonie. Or, or he's going to, he's literally going to destroy your country. I don't know what he's going to do, I'm, but it's, I'm so uh, easy to bribe. Yeah. Easy no, to bribe I was going to say, I, I just, I wanted to jump on top of your question. I a hundred percent love what you were saying, Sam, but I, I love the question Blake on that because I agree that if especially a lot of people listening may not have a lot of time, you know what I mean? Right. You're you're looking at stuff. The best thing that you can do is deploy your army, though. I don't yeah. if you've got it at home, if you got it on TTS, if you got it at the game store, whatever, wherever you play, in your limited amount of time, it's so, so valuable to know how your army fits behind the terrain you're going to be playing on. It it's I think it's more important than anything else because. Your deployment, I say you can't win on deployment, but you can deploy to not lose. I see so often people, the, the biggest thing that people tell me all the time when in coaching and stuff is I felt like I was a turn behind because everybody's reacting. And that's because you're slightly behind where you should have been in deployment and your first turn moves. That determines like most of the game is where you're, you originally are. Because you can't get to those middle ground objectives to control them, or you can't get to your your relentless, your engage, or whatever. If you can't score those because you're in the wrong spot, you're always going to feel like you're behind in points and everything else. You're always playing for behind. So if you yeah. can deploy your army, 
if you could do anything else, deploy your army is such a big deal. I yeah. I love your follow-up to my question. I'm going to piggyback off that with my follow-up <laughs> question is, over the weekend, what was your MVP, and what <laughs> unit would you say is on the chopping block? I hate you. I hate you so much. <laughs> Oh man, that's uh, okay. So that's a that's a really really great question. I'm actually in the in the middle of kind of discovering that myself right now. I mean, I, I feel like my my MVP unit um, and like saying sanguinary guard is such an easy out, yeah, uh, because they just dictate a lot of the tempo of the game, board control. They just do everything that I need them to do. Um, but I really do want to just kind of say my my chapter master always kind of just does what he you know says on the tin. And then especially having like a uh, like a librarian, for example, um, you know, that can just dish out mortals when he needs to. He's like an extra an extra asset of damage uh, for no reason that your opponent is just like, oh, I didn't really budget those extra six wounds to that unit. Um, it's just kind of nice to have. So, I mean, easy answer, sanguinary regard. I mean, I think the bit nitty or grittier one is going to be the characters. But then I think like the unsung heroes are always my eliminators, like in every single game. Um, the eliminators just for some reason just add damage for no reason. Uh, they double move. So it's like a thing that people I think maybe forget or maybe I just think they do is you can advance that Eliminator unit. Um, they move because they're Blood Angels, minimum eight now. Um, and let's say on average you roll, I don't know, let's just say a three, right? So now all of a sudden, now they're like an 11-inch moving unit. Your, star- your sergeant can still shoot, and then you move another six inches with that unit. So it's like, it's a 17-inch move for literally doing nothing, for showing up, no CP, nothing else. Um, and they just get into these weird areas of the board that your opponent hates because now they're screening, they're move blocking, they're just causing a ruckus. So, I mean, they're definitely up there. And then on the chopping block, really simple. I think the assault marines. I don't know why. I feel like with them having just the one is okay. They're cute for 90 points. But I feel like to really get the most out of them, it's like you kind of want like two to three of those units for the redundancy or almost none at all. It's one of those situations, I think. After your MVP list, um, I wanted to go ahead and put the rest of your MVPs on there because you thanked everybody. I want to thank thank his family and thank God. So. <laughs> You know what? It really is a collective, you know, a collective team effort out there. Okay. <laughs> I love everything about this. Yeah. Uh. I, I love that we've talked about everything except for this game also. That would be two weeks in a row we've done this. <laughs> I want to point Dude. out one more thing, too. I, I always hate doing this, Brad. I hate referencing part two, and I apologize to everybody, but I want to make a note here. I want to really Steve Joel deep dive into this librarian like i think the librarian is very techy and i love really? it in, yeah. in part two part two is where i want to see it yeah and i'm not gonna lie the jaime and i episode from last week was basically us just talking about wtc and i think we mentioned the game once and then just went back to talking about wtc we mentioned the mistakes we've touched on the game but sam what else do you have sam procopio <sighs> procopio yeah ah see i got it right i had to get it right once um, give me give me this is a general rundown on how you felt the game, the, the cheap seats version, how you felt the game went from like start to finish. Yeah. You know what? I think it went well overall. I, uh, I know my army in, into Leviathan Nids uh, very well. Played that match of like eight times at in round five or six plus of events now. So definitely one that I'm not comfortable with because it's a horrible matchup, but one that I at least know how to approach. So it was a little bit of a shame that my mental error is what costed me the game. But uh, overall, it's like, you lose to a great guy, you know, and he's playing his art, his heart out too all weekend. And it's like, you can't really ask for a, I know a better, uh, better outcome there for the final. Is there a way, is there a stream somewhere of that game on it? Yeah. Frontline gaming network. Uh, I, I played uh round four against the Tau player and then him in the final. So you can catch me there twice. Nice. All right. 
Cool. Well, uh, you got any more part one, part one stuff before we go into the Brad hour? The Brad I have thing? so much. I have so much part two. I I, I'm part also. Two. I'm, I, by the way, in part two, I'm going to bring up that tower, that tower game. Also, <laughs> I'm excited <laughs> because I want to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do a lot. I'm gonna do some blakening. We're gonna have the blakening as a the mini the, the mini Blake, the mini Blake minute. We're gonna have a minute of Blake well, uh, in part two. And, You're gonna be excited. Like I do have to correct you on one thing. You said this earlier, and I didn't want to cut you off, but you—I uh, think you said I went five and one at the Warmaster. I did not. I went four zero oh, and two. I have to say it properly. Oh. Um, and uh, and also, Canada did not finish seventh. They finished in ninth. I also wanted to make sure that everything's accurate. That's all. I misread everything. I just I just messed up all of your WTC stats. Yeah, but, I feel like uh, you just made good. stuff up. It He's kind of like, balanced uh, out though, because I feel like would you rather be four zero oh, and two or five and one? Four zero oh, and two because oh, I didn't lose a game. Yeah. Okay, because I was gonna say I gave you I gave you an extra win there, but I gave Canada uh, extra spots. Yeah, swapped swapped it out. Yeah, I swapped it out. A long time. <laughs> you, are you sure you're not half Canadian? I'm half Canadian. Eh? Hey, <laughs> I just finished grade seven. I wrote my test. <laughs> That's what Canadians say. You know, Canadian stuff. All right, Sam. Thanks for joining us, man. I'm looking forward to part two. Thanks for listening, everybody. Now, make sure to check out our other podcast. We have The Art of War Vanilla with very boring Nick Nanavati and Paul Murphy. And we have the very recent WTC champion, very Australian Art of War Down Under with the late and great Adam Camilleri. We, of course, are The Art of War Pistachio, the flavor didn't know you love. Play Tritus. Thanks for listening. Join us for part two. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com. <laughs> <laughs>